Come on, anybody got something to be thankful for? Come on, anybody got something to be thankful for? Come on, we had our prayer experience this past week. And I don't know about you, but I just got stuck in praise. It was hard for me to move. When I started thinking about the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, I I couldn't hardly get to anything else. Just thanking God over and over again for his bountiful blessings on my life. We greet you in the grace, peace, joy, and love of God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love to the family. Thank God for his love that we can share with one another. Now, come on, if you know God is an awesome God and he deserves awesome praise. Come on, if you know he's an incredible God and he deserves incredible praise. Come on, if you know he's a great God and he deserves great praise. Old folks said, if I couldn't say a word, I'd just wave my hand. Yes, Lord. We thank God, thank God for just being so gracious and so kind and so merciful and allowing our moments to roll on just a little while longer. Man, we've had such a tremendous week this week. I want to congratulate the uh, prayer and uh, voter engagement caravan, the team that came together, our social justice Uh, ministry had their fourth annual prayer and voter engagement caravan and I want to thank them for uh, reminding us of the great history of the Good Hope Church Uh, our role in civil rights and social justice uh, goes back uh, to the 30s when this church was just at that time considered a fledgling church and God did some amazing things through the leadership of Dr. A.A. Lucas and uh, Brother Lonnie Smith, who was a trustee at our church, um, plaintiff in the Smith versus Allwright um, suit that was settled in the Supreme Court in our favor in 1944. Uh, It was argued before the Supreme Court by Thurgood Marshall, and it gave African-Americans the right to vote in the Democratic primary. And you might, if you know your history, you know that um, at that time it was the Democrats um, that were uh, the political party of racism and all of the other isms in the world. And those Dixie Democrats refused to allow anybody to vote in the primary that was not of uh, Anglo heritage. And this lawsuit opened that up and gave African-Americans the opportunity to vote. And it literally was a landmark decision that affected voting rights uh, across the entire country. And then um, our role with social justice programs and our young people, uh, Project Hope, working with young men and young women who are uh, walking into the criminal justice system trying to get them out of that system as soon as possible by interceding, mentoring, uh, exposing them to extracurricular activities, inspiring them. Uh, We've seen some tremendous things happening through that ministry as well and our partnering with the People Legal Clinic and others. And so we're just grateful to God for that. Come on, let's give God a hand of praise. We certainly want to uh, encourage you in this uh, season of uh, preparing to vote that you would 
vote, your conscience, vote your convictions. Um, I do not endorse or tell you who to vote for. Um, I just want you to vote and get out and make sure that your vote is counted. Rooted and grounded, make some noise. Man, we are grateful to God for our life groups and um, our prayer experiences this past week have been powerful. I think there are a couple of more groups that may uh, have to do their prayer experiences today, but I'm telling you, the prayer experiences were absolutely phenomenal to hear the testimonies of the men in, in my group, uh, to hear what God is doing in their life. It was just absolutely, absolutely amazing. And we've got a video to share today of uh, one of our rooted and uh, grounded members and them testifying as to how this has blessed and changed their life. Let's hear our video right now. I love the curriculum. Very clear, uh, very straightforward and concise. And, you know, it's structured in such a way in that, you know, we're taking the lessons, we're taking the scripture and you get the life application. So there's action items to go along with each lesson that we do. Case in point, uh, there is a service project that we do. Uh, now, I wasn't able, just based on schedules, to do the service project with my whole group, but there's a lot of, it's a lot of flexibility there. So I was able to volunteer with the Good Hope Food Pantry, which was awesome. And that was a blessing because I was able to meet again other members of the church. By the way, again, I'm not a member at this point. I'm just trying to plug in and understand what Good Hope is all about. I ran into an old college classmate, uh, met some new folks. Uh, one of my, uh, the members of my group happened to be there on that Saturday. I met him and his wife. So we got to talk in more depth. Uh, so that was an awesome experience. And so coming through everything, just gave me confirmation. I mean, now, full disclosure, to be honest, maybe I, I knew from jump that, you know, Good Hope was the place for me, but uh, Rooted and Grounded gave me the confirmation. Uh, so shortly thereafter, as we were rounding out our 10th week, um, I decided to um, join Good Hope, and I'm, I'm so excited about the opportunity to be here and, and to plug in and uh, to pour into others as well as the rest of Good hope to pour into me. Man, we're so grateful and thankful to that testimony. Now remember, Rooted is just our baseline curriculum. Rooted and grounded is our culture. And anybody that knows anything about culture, it's a challenge to change culture. Um, you can make technical changes, but when it's not a cultural change, people will take those technical changes and make it look like it used to look. Uh, we want to make sure that we are committed to not just coming to church, but to being church, to be the church that God has called us to be, to be salt, to be light in a dark and dying world. And I'm so grateful and thankful for all of you who are part of our worldwide launch. We're in 12 different states now, uh, three different countries, uh, including the United States, uh, Brazil, 
and in West Africa and Senegal and that group is going really, really well. It's just excited to see what God is doing. And I hope and pray that you're building your spiritual confidence and ready to allow God to use you. God does not want you to just come to church to sit. You're not supposed to be coming to be entertained. If you want to be entertained, I can recommend some churches uh, for you. They do the greatest show on Sunday. Amen. Um, I, I want to equip you. I want to empower you. I want you to help. I want to help you walk in the victory that God has for you. Amen. Amen. This week we move into week four. Where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God in the midst of suffering? And I've got a word today. I got to tell you, man, I was all set on my path, ready to go. And the Lord just gave me a left turn and said, this message is for somebody today. So I'm hoping and praying that when the Lord speaks, you hear what the Lord is saying to you. Amen. Amen. Where are all of my October birthdays? All of the October birthdays. Come on, if you're a member or not, stand on your feet wherever you are. October birthdays. Ooh, yes. Well, we're singing happy. Happy birthday to you. It's October the 1st. That means you got 31 days to celebrate your birthday. Just go on, take the whole month. Take the whole month. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time today. Father, we bless you and we thank you for this day and for this time. I pray now, God, that you would anoint the preaching, teaching, and hearing of your word. Meet somebody exactly where they need to be met and encourage them to continue to run on to see what the end will be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So growing up, I was like a lot of kids. We played outside and we played everything. It was not a sport, at least a major sport, that I did not play. I played football. I played basketball. I played baseball. And there was a universal rule that coaches had in those sports that you played. Uh, Brother Jenkins can attest to this. Brother Bernard Lee is in my age group. He can attest to this as well. Uh, whenever possible, your coaches would tell you, use two hands. Uh, it didn't matter what sport you played. If you were playing baseball, for example, and you had a fly ball come your way, man, listen, they put you on the bench if you just put one glove up and caught the ball. You had to use both hands, and they would tell you, you use both hands because if the ball squirts out of the mitt, you have the other hand up and you can catch it and keep it from falling 
on the ground. If you played basketball, man, throw a one-hand pass if you want to, a behind-the-back pass. You'd be sitting on the bench as an assistant coach next to the coach. They would tell you the best way to throw a pass is two hands. Now, I know some of you are looking at me thinking, God, dog, it was that long ago that you played? Yeah, but two hands, they would tell you, because if you change your mind and you're using two hands, you can keep from throwing the pass. If you use one hand and you want to try to keep it, not too late. One hand pushed it out. Um, if you played base uh, football, uh, pass came your way. Man, forget OBJ and all these folk with these stickums on their gloves and whatnot. No, man, you've got to catch the ball with two hands. You've got to carry the ball with two hands. You've got to make sure you use both hands to secure the ball. Whenever you carried something heavy or valuable, something that you didn't want to drop, you may start off with one hand, but your parents or your grandparents will say, use both hands to make sure you didn't drop it. When a person is fighting, a prize fighter, a boxer, uh, listen, a one-handed fighter is never going to be a successful fighter. You got to be able to use both hands. And for those of you who didn't play sports when you learned how to drive, Come on, you learn how to drive. You put one hand on 10 and one hand where? On two. And they would tell you, no, we don't want none of that one hand driving. You got to drive with both hands on the steering wheel. We don't, we don't care what the song says, diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging the lean with the gangster lean. Come on here. You, no, no, you put both hands on that steering wheel. And listen, it was so ingrained in us to use both hands that even today when a police officer pulls up behind me, if I've got one hand on the steering wheel, I automatically go to 10 and 2. Don't judge me. Don't act like I'm the only one. Come on. Now, some of you may think doing something one-handed is good enough. But the overwhelming majority of things in life, if there's a choice between one hand and two hands, two hands are typically better than one. I submit to you today, my brothers and sisters, that there are too many of us who are functioning with a one-handed faith. Uh, we have one perspective. We have one view. We have one theological position regarding faith, that faith is about what I need to get from God and how much God needs to give to me. And we fail to understand that faith is not one-handed, but it's really two-handed. That God has something amazing for us, and if we only function with a one-handed faith, we'll miss maybe the most powerful part of faith, that can keep us when we feel like giving up. Today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought, the power of having a two-handed faith. The power of having a two-handed faith. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen? If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Three things I want you to see today. I don't have time to exhaust this passage, but let me just hit some high points and give you some helpful hints on how to have a two-handed faith. Um, our text today is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the epistle 
written to the Hebrews is an interesting epistle. Uh, it was written to encourage readers who were thinking about and were tempted to go back to Judaism and put their faith in Moses instead of in Christ. Uh, their confidence was in the visible world. And because they saw things in the visible world that did not make sense, they were encouraged to go back to their old way of living instead of continuing to exercise faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. We get to Hebrews chapter 11 and we have what is called by many the heroes of the faith or the hall of faith. We have people who exhibited great faith in God and because they exhibited great faith in God, God did some amazing things through them. Starting at verse one, you can just read down the list of these great heroes of the faith. You see Abel, for example, and the worshiping faith of Abel. Uh, you see the walking faith of Enoch because the Bible says he walked with God. Uh, you have the working faith of Noah because he built an ark when it was not popular, when folk were looking around at him like he was crazy because it had never rained. But God told him the rain was coming and by faith he built the ark. We have the waiting faith of the patriarchs, Abraham, Sarah, and eventually it would come to Isaac and Jacob, this waiting faith. God makes a promise that he is going to give them a seed. And the Bible says they have to wait 25 years between the time of the promise given and the time that the promise was fulfilled. Uh, you have the warring faith of Moses as a fighter, as a leader of the people, as a general. And you have the winning faith of Joshua and Rahab. But even beyond that, God chooses to lift up some other folk. When you get down to verse 32, for example, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Um, the heroic faith of these men and these women throughout the scriptures, God celebrates them. But something happens in the text. It's as if God anticipates a question being asked for which he had not provided an answer. What do you do when you have faith and God doesn't answer your prayers the way you want it? What do you do when you're praying and you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed and God does not seem to move or respond to your prayer request. What do you do when faith seems to blow a fuse? When faith loses its luster? When you're praying and there seems to be no relief in your prayers? Your situation is bad. And everybody's telling you just, just have faith and God will turn it around. But what happens when your faith doesn't turn your situation around. And that's why we need a two-handed faith. See, we don't just need a faith that we can hold on to when things are going well. 
or when God shows up or when God answers our prayer. We need a faith that's two-handed that can hold on even when God doesn't decide to move on our behalf. Here's the first thing. Number one, you need to realize your faith in God will not exempt you from problems in life. Your faith in God will not exempt you from problems in life. Verse 35, Hebrews 11, the New Living Translation, women receive their loved ones back again from the dead. Miracle, right? But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. And their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. This paragraph highlights those who suffered for Jesus' sake. And there were those who were looking, saying, what kind of faith is that? I don't know if there's something wrong with faith or if there's something wrong with them or their faith. But that's not the result that we expect from somebody who has faith and believes in God. And let's be honest. Man, we live in a world and time with me-centered preaching, egocentric theology, pep rally preaching, and we're sitting there being told that everything is going to be all right if you just have faith. If you don't have faith, reach up and grab it. High five seven people until it comes. All of these gimmicks around having faith and the guarantee that if you have enough faith, your faith will bring you out. There was a very popular preacher some years ago who was preaching and teaching the need to have faith and the power of faith. And if you get sick, if you're at the point of death and you can't call healing into your life, there's something wrong with your faith. And that sounded well and good. And he was a great proponent of that theological position until his wife got cancer. And they prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and went to the doctor and prayed and fasted and went to the doctor, but she still died. Sounded well and good until he started getting old and started getting feeble and his mind started leaving him and dementia and Alzheimer's came upon his body. There wasn't amount, there was no amount of faith that would reverse the degenerative diseases that he was dealing with. See, we have this idea that somehow, man, if we have faith, it's going to be all right. And it's going to be all right. It just not, may not be all right the way you want it to be all right. And I want you to notice something. The verse calls out the names of the heroes of the faith. But when we get to verse 35, the women and men who are talked about, who are identified, are anonymous. They are nameless. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, 
You may not be like Gideon. You may not be like Barak. You may not be like Abel. You may not be like Noah. You may not be like Moses. You may not be like Joshua or Rahab. But guess what? There's a category that all of us can fit in. It's the nameless crowd. And he says, this crowd endured faith no matter what attacked them. They never accepted defeat Therefore, they were never defeated. They never denied God. Therefore, God never denied them. They never lost hope. Therefore, they were never left hopeless. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. Pastor, read the text again. Did you miss something? They, they, they were whipped. They were tortured. They were burned. They were, they were maimed. They, they went through persecution. And here's what God wants you and I to understand. The faith that he calls us to have does not guarantee deliverance on earth. The faith God has called us to have will bring about development many times before it brings about deliverance. See, when you think the only thing faith is good for is to get you stuff or get you out of stuff, I submit to you that's a one-handed faith. And that faith won't last long and that faith won't hold on long. You got to have faith in God. You got to have faith not in what God will do. You got to have faith in God and trust God in the midst of whatever you're dealing with and in the midst of whatever you're going through. Let me give you a definition of what is faith. Uh, Because in the book of Hebrews, the writer does not give us a definition of faith. He describes faith. (coughs) Let me give you a definition. What is faith? Write this down somewhere on your outline. True faith is God in God is confident obedience to God's word and trust in God's will in spite of circumstances and consequences. It's up on the screen if you need it. True faith in God is confident obedience to God's word and trust in God's will in spite of circumstances and consequences. See, when you have a confidence and you obey God's word, but you don't trust in God's will, that's not a two-handed faith. If you don't obey God's word, but you trust God's will, that's not a two-handed faith. You've got to have confidence enough to obey God's word and trust in God's will, even when his will doesn't make sense with what you see. Uh, I've been through some things the last couple of years. Our church has been through some things the last couple of years. And, and I've got to tell you um, that there were times when my faith was wavering until I was reminded that my faith in God cannot be tied to individual or specific outcomes. My faith in God has to be true 
and it's in God. Not in what God does, but in who God is. I'm trying to help somebody today. Here's the second thing. Number two, you need to realize your faith in God must focus on where you're going, not on what you're getting. Your faith in God must focus on where you're going, not on what you are getting. Verse 35, the C part, they place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. For those of you who are younger, who think you have a lot of years in front of you and think you're going to live a long, long time. Can I tell you a little secret that I'm discovering? When you get more time behind you than in front of you, you discover how fast time really goes by. Uh, you holding that baby and you think, man, that baby, I'm, ooh, I'm just going to spoil this baby. For Listen, that baby will be leaving you before you know it. They will get grown and gone and you will be sitting there talking about where, where did the time go? That's how life is. Watch this. These faithful followers of Jesus did not trade the hope of eternity for a momentary pleasure on earth. They were living for something bigger than just what they could get and what they could have on earth. See, people judge their faith and the faith of other people by what they get. Do you have faith? Oh, yeah, I got faith. Let me come in. Come out here and let me show you my car that I got by faith. I want you to see my house that I got by faith. You car poor and, and, and house poor, but you but you you living by faith. Now you living by credit. You ain't living by faith. You, 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 and, you and you're barely making it, but 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 you have the appearance that you have great faith. And, and God says, no, place your hope in a better life after the resurrection. Place your hope, watch this. Not in what you get, but in who God helps you to become. See, th these folk didn't focus on what they were going through. They didn't focus on what they were getting. Uh, they focused on what they would get on the other side of their trials. They believed they would receive a better life after the resurrection. And I'm here to tell somebody one of the reasons you can have a one-handed faith is because you too narrowly define what faith is. And if all faith is, is you trying to get what you want and manipulate God and treat God as if he is your cosmic concierge on call, waiting for you to tell him exactly what you want, when you want it and how you want it. And when you get it the way you want it, Ooh, you walking by faith. No, that's not the faith that God, wants you to have um, I told you number one you need to realize your faith in God will not exempt you from problems in life number two you need to realize your faith in God must focus on where you're going not on what you're getting here's the third and final thing number three 
you need to realize your faith in God will be rewarded eventually, even if not in this life. Your faith in God will be rewarded eventually, even if not in this life. Look at verse 39. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. The named and the unnamed. The ones who were apparently victorious, whose exploits are remembered and exalted, and those who suffered for Christ's sake. The Bible says, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them receive all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Somebody in here, I want you to understand that some of the greatest blessings you will leave behind will be just that, left behind. That there are things that you think you're supposed to get now that won't manifest themselves until later on. Um, It is said that Vincent Van Gogh painted over 900 paintings in his life, but he only sold one before he died. 900 paintings, but he only sold one before he died. He became famous on the other side of the grave. And my brothers and my sisters, God wants you to understand that God's will is not always in alignment with what you ask for or what you want. Don't require the celebration of having faith in God with God aligning what you get with what you want. See, the truth of the matter is you and I can't know God's plan for our life. There's some stuff that is just above our pay grade. We we just not going to know. It's just not going to make sense to us. I I got a list of stuff I'm putting together now that I'm going to have to ask God about when I get there. I mean, there's some folk that that he took home, and I'm going to say, man, why'd you take them home, God? I had a whole list of folk you could have taken home. You could have taken this one, this one, and and I'm sure God probably looking at me saying, well, I I didn't want them either. I I was trying to give them more time, right? But I, I got questions. God, why did you let this happen? God, why didn't you let this happen? And God wants us to understand that faith in him must be independent of what he does for us. See, faith in God guarantees your spiritual development. It does not guarantee your earthly deliverance. Faith in God won't always get you out. Faith in God may get you out. But faith in God may put you in. It may require you to stay in when you want to come out. Um, There's really no better biblical example, I think, of a two-handed faith than the faith of those young men, those three Hebrews who were facing the fiery furnace. You remember the story, uh, Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, 
the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in to a burning fiery furnace and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands listen to what they say O Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter we don't even have to pray about it we, we already know verse 17 if this be so our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, I'm talking about a two-handed faith, y'all. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. With one hand, they say, here's our faith. Our God can bring us out. But with the other hand, they say, but if he chooses not to, we still have faith in our God. Watch this. And we're not going to limit our faith as to whether or not he can bring us out of a furnace. Because we know God can bring us through life. Let me say this to somebody. It takes more faith to endure suffering than to escape suffering. Some of y'all missed it. Let me say it again. You write it down. It takes more faith to endure suffering than it does to escape suffering. But at the end of the day, when I've got two-handed faith, I can hold on to wherever God has taken me. I can hold on to whatever God is taking me through. I can hold on to whatever God is trying to bring out of me. I can keep my faith in God regardless of what I'm facing, regardless of what I'm going through. There's somebody in here under the sound of my voice. Let me tell you how powerful a two-handed faith is. We come from a people. I'm talking about black people who had two-handed faith, who put their faith and their trust in God. Yeah, they, they were stoned, they were raped, they were hung, they were murdered, they were cheated, they were mistreated by a criminal injustice system. But despite all that they had been through, they kept a two-handed faith in God. They believed that God could, but even if he chose not to, they said, we're not going to abandon God because God has been too good to us. Have I got a witness in here? And here's what I need somebody to understand. You may not know their names right now. They're not famous. They don't have statues built after them. But we stand on their shoulders because they had a two-handed faith. 
that when the storms of life were raging and the winds were blowing, they still held on to God's unchanging hand. Have I got a witness here? And there's somebody that needs to keep a two-handed faith. Come what may from day to day. Storms may rise. Winds may blow. Breakers may dash. Trouble may come my way. But I'm going to keep my hand in God's hand. And I'm going to keep a two-handed faith. God, if you bring me out, I know you can. But God, if you choose not to bring me out, I trust you to bring me through. Because I know if I keep my hand in your hand, there are blessings on the way. Peace on the way. Joy on the way. Love on the way. So I'm holding on and I won't let go of my faith. It may not make sense. It may not matter to you. But I'm going to keep my hands on God's unchanging hand. Yes! Yes! I'm holding on. Come on, y'all remember that old song that I'm holding on and I won't let go my faith. I believe in the Father and the Son. I'm holding on to my faith. Came to know Jesus when I was very young. I'm holding on to my faith. Been ostracized, criticized, but I'm holding on to my faith. Things I've had to suffer brought tears to my eyes, but I'm holding on to my faith. Lord have mercy. Anybody here holding on, holding on? Somebody said, where's God in my suffering? He's right where he's always been. Just hold on to your faith. Keep your faith in God. And know that the God who is able, even if he chooses not to, he's got something better for you on the other side. Father, we bless you. Father, we thank you. We pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight. Hallelujah to the Lamb. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.